Today on the Tech Bytes podcast, we're having an automation conversation. Uh, let's say you've built a set of automations for your network infrastructure, and now you want teams or departments in your organization to use those automations. Our sponsor, Networka, offers a service catalog that provides a simple front end to make it easy for internal customers to come and consume all those slick capabilities that you've worked so hard to develop. We talk with Scott Rowlandson. He's director at Networka's parent company, NetAutomate, to get details on how all this works. Uh, Scott, welcome to the podcast. So in a nutshell, can you tell us what does Networka do? So NetOrca is a centralized software service uh, that's deployed in an organization and allows teams to both offer and consume services from other teams via their own Git repository and a standardized CI/CD process. Um, it doesn't configure the infrastructure. It just gives a way for, for teams to have a standardized way of offering that service and managing those service re requests from the customer. Okay, so I think that's something important to, to double down on up front. Your product is not doing all of the uh, infrastructure backend work to provide the automations. You are a front-end service catalog that's taking advantage of automations that have already been built out. Yeah, exactly, because we don't, we don't want to um, you know redo how automation is built on the backend. There's plenty of tools out there to do that. It's more about fixing that one service uh, catalog and service ownership problem and allowing network automation engineers to do what they do best and utilize all the good tools that they already have. Yeah, because a lot of automation is a domain-specific thing, right? So if you're a network engineer or a storage engineer or a server engineer or a VM, you know, whether you're using Nutanix or VMware or, you know, Red Hat or whatever, right? Each of those automations that you prefer for those are, tend to be very domain-specific. And But the challenge has always been, how do you get your network automations and give them away to the other teams to consume? Yeah, exactly. And the, the idea behind this is to promote properly defining your service in a well-validated and um, consumable manner. Um, so often, you know, a mistake that automation engineers will do is make the customer fill out, you know, a raw Terraform config and have all these optional fields that no one really cares about. Uh -huh. So with this platform, you define your service for like basically the minimum that you want from the customer. And then you get a structured change through that. And then you can integrate that and you know set all your defaults or do your optional parameters on whatever platform you're using in the back end. Okay. So the folks who know all of the gnarly details on the back end get to worry about that. And the people consuming the service, they just need to put in some essential information, a few fields to actually get that service going. Exactly. And then by having that offered to the customer, um, NetOrca also allows you to change that schema in the future. So uh, you can add fields if if you ever needed to add optionality to what the service is. You mm -hmm. can do that in a structured manner um, where it doesn't require all your customers to then go and change all their existing service requests. You could update your schema uh, on NetOrca and decide to only apply that to new requests and keep the service going for all your existing customers. Yeah. So... I think the key here would be is that NetOrca works when you're an organization, probably a fairly large organization or an organization with a lot of automations across a lot of disciplines, and you've got some sort of DevOps. Because, you know, as we were talking, I was thinking, what's the example of what NetOrca does? And I was thinking, like, I'm a DevOps team. I've got an update to my application coming in. To do that, I need to deploy, you know, 30 or 40 containers because that's where the application is contained. And part of that is when you deploy a container, you get new IP addresses. So you need to make a request for firewall rules. I now, NetOrca could build me an API that then would consume a 
uh, a networking automation that would then go off, create a change request, which could then be authorized and approved. And then it would go off and deploy that to the firewall. So, and something is added to the firewall rule base and, you know, and equally the same for storage requests and, you know, allocation on the, on the, on the hypervisor service and so on. Is that the idea that we're talking about? Yeah. Well, I guess NetOrchid doesn't just create you the API. It creates you a method of offering that service all the way down to a customer Git repository. And what I mean by that is you specify via that schema, the piece of YAML that a customer needs to put in their own Git repository, subject to their own merge request and approval processes within their team mm. um, that would then be validated and sent to NetOrca. And, and in terms of the service that's offered there, I mean, uh, it's, it's good to go into one of the customers that, that uses it right now is uh, uses it to, to supply quite complex services mm. like a pattern to deliver, in your example, a DevOps team, they want to deliver a web app. And the service that they offer is like Pattern One, for example, that has an approved secure VIP, an ASM policy, the appropriate firewall rules, and appropriate certificates. So that team can use NetOrca to offer Pattern One and yeah. then use NetOrca as the orchestrator to then trigger off all those various teams uh, to do all the aspects or the bits that they need to uh, deliver that pattern. Okay, so when you say orchestrator, NetOrca is, I guess, interacting with other Git repos and telling teams, hey, this needs to be done? It's it's a push from the Git repos. So what we deploy with NetOrca is a standardized CI-CD process. Mm -hmm. um, so a customer just has to clone a repo and they clone the gitlab.ci YAML file or, or any other runner equivalent. And then that just syncs up their repo to NetOrca. So... What we do, we don't put a lot of complexity into the CI/CD process. That the complexities in the application itself, that's what determines um, is if, if there's a diff or there's modifiers and deletes from the customer config, and it allows for quite a smooth CI/CD process. I think uh, you know the CI/CD isn't deploying the infrastructure. The CI/CD is just doing the request. Mm -hmm. the The infrastructure providers then run their own processes in their own time frame. You know, because we all know. Some organizations, if you need to do prod, it could be, has to happen at 11 p.m. or after a couple of approvals. So yeah. it decouples that deployment from the customer request and allows that customer CI/CD process to uh, be unblocked all the time and, and not affect the, the requests they make. Got it. Okay. So we worked through one example. Could you give us another way this gets used? Yeah. So another customer uh, uses that for... A, a much less complex service, I guess, in terms of offering firewall rules. And that just allows, you know, development team to say, hey, we want 443 to this app. They have a simple bit of YAML that they put into their infrastructure uh, Git repo, and that goes off and deploys. And, and one of the major advantages of offering a simple service like that, uh, I know having done a lot of firewall rules in the past, you never really have good ownership of the firewall rules. Uh -huh. You don't often give customers <laughs> the way to delete things. So... So that allows customer to say, oh, uh, two years later, I don't need that file rule anymore. I'm going to get rid of it. And because it's in their Git repo and that's always synced um, and it's synced to the team that's providing that service, you know, you have that full ownership of the rule and you can take it out later. Yeah. yeah. That's interesting. Could you talk about that a little bit more? Because, you know, pruning rules is something that probably doesn't happen as often as it should. Yeah, and I think a lot of that is because of the disconnect in which customer owns it or which customer requested it. So when we've 
uh, you know, have worked on uh, finding owners for rules in the past, you often have to rely on a CMDB service that's done retroactively. So the CMDB is built, you know, way after these rules have been requested. So by giving, and and the reason we use Git is it it is that audit log. It's that um, you know source of truth on the customer side of things. Change history, who logged it, where did they put exactly. it, why, you know, and they've all been authenticated to it. Exactly. And and that's why we use Git instead of, you, you can use an API to request service in the NetAlco, but we recommend the Git path. And that's exactly to give that long-term ownership. Those developer teams, they go into their Git project and they can see the infrastructure repo has those rules in it and it gives them a better opportunity to delete it later. And one of the other benefits that provides is that as a network team, it does allow you to charge services, uh, cross-charge within large organizations. Because mm-hmm. one of the things that stops cross-charging is if you don't give anyone an opportunity or the way to delete something, it's difficult to charge them per month from, you know, if you're an automation team. But in this manner, you you, you can say, all right, we're going to charge you. It's in your Git repo. If you want to get rid of it, all yeah. you have to do is delete that bit of YAML from your, com- your repo and we'll stop charging you. So right. that reduces technical debt, basically. Now, when I'm calling this, Obviously, there's an API to call NetOrca, but what other ways can I actually call it? Could I use Ansible? Yeah, so as part of the product, we have a Python SDK that's open source and an Ansible Galaxy module, mm-hmm. and that handles all the common uh, interactions with with NetOrca right. on the API side of things. But this is very but- software development. This is not a GUI that you install. This is you need to be using an Ansible module to call NetOrca. This is for hardcore DevOps and and orchestration automation type people to do this product and you're providing this as a service type thing it does have a gui as well so mm-hmm. um both the customers and the service providers have a gui yeah and they can see the state of everything right. um generally we we suggest people who are automating it to do it via the api because obviously if you you're deploying hundreds of services and and those you know you've got hundreds of changes from customers you want to be doing that via the API, yeah, but you still yeah. have a GUI there to see all the stats and um, the so. state of everything. So as a customer, you can log into the GUI and uh, you can see that that uh, service that you requested, whether it's been completed or not, mm-hmm. and if it hasn't been completed, how many change, how many changes behind your current Git repo it is. Right. Um, so my DevOps would be sitting there using Git to do all of their deployment of those containers. They'd have all of their workflows and all the YAML associated. And NetOrca reads the YAML in the Git to be able to go and trigger all of those automations for me. You've provided me with a piece of middleware that does that. Yeah, correct. And yeah. and a middleware that's extensible to handle uh, any type of uh, service that's offered by and, and subsequent triggering of automated processes. Right. So I think um, a lot of our listeners have ticketing systems in place and probably extensive. Uh, why wouldn't I just use that? Um, yeah, well, I guess the, the big difference with that is most ticketing systems don't have that integration with something like Git. So they don't have that ongoing management of the ticket. A lot of ticketing systems is kind of one and done, and that often leads to a black hole, which <laughs> I think developers and customers really hate. You, you put a ticket in, it just stays the same state forever <laughs> yeah, yeah and then and then another thing with the ticketing system if you have if you have to delete something later on you have to then find whatever ticket that is to do the deletion thing why, why would you do that right um so 
the integration with Git and the integration with that customer state makes it a ticketing system. It's not a. It's not just a ticketing system. It's a state engine, and it's matching the state of what the customer request is. So the state being what the customer wants, with the state of whether that's deployed on the infrastructure or not. Um, and what that enables you to do, uh, as opposed to you know just putting something out on a traditional ticketing system, is you can offer services to the rest of your organization before your automation is super slick and perfect. And you can take advantage of, um, of, of getting it out there and then getting some customer requests in that maybe you could even do manually. Uh, you could, mm. you can still go and complete tickets manually on that or if you have to, um, but you can then decide to invest and improve that automation in the backend as it goes along. So you're saying I could roll out NetOrca. If you build it, they will come kind of an idea like, look, I've got a service catalog, come and use it, which then becomes sort of a justification for now invest more for me in network automation business owners. Yeah, exactly. I think that's one of the problems with network automation is that we often try and build the best solution, but we don't have that connection to what the rest of the organization actually wants mm -hmm. and values. And that's ultimately what drives budget and spending. You know, we don't get paid just to do the fun stuff. So yeah, it enables that. You, you can offer a service earlier than you would normally if you mm. had to build a bespoke piece of infrastructure to get those requests in. Mm. And then you can decide from all those services you've offered, which is the one that I should spend my automation dollars on to improve. And this is something that you have customers doing today. So you have a large bank in particular that's running this today to enable, you know, diverse teams to deliver this type of service catalog and to, to share the capabilities. Yep. Yep. We have customers, um, running this and doing hundreds of changes per month on this. Um, so it scales and, and what we found is, yeah, once those customers build that Git repo and, and then realize that they can request a SERP, so customers being the internal development teams at these organizations. Once they get on board, they've got that Git repo out there. They they really love the ability just to have that one-stop shop to see that a service is available, put that config into the Git repo and see it spin up and be completed. And that Orca, I, I asked the question earlier about why not just use the ticketing system and I think you made a good case, but on sort of flipping that around, can I tie you know, jobs that are kicked off from that Orca into my ticketing system if I need to, because I'm sort of using my ticketing system as an ad hoc, like change management or control system or job tracking or chargeback system. And I, and I want a record to go into my ticketing system, even if it's a job being kicked off from that Orca. And, and well, so that kind of goes on the uh, deploying before you're ready. Cause you could actually offer a service via net Orca um, with the dream of having that fully automated but your only automation is actually picking up that request from NetOrca and putting it into your Jira ticket and someone doing it manually. So that could be your day one. And and by not tightly coupling NetOrca with the infrastructure delivery, we give those teams the ability to do that and evolve it, you know, as the automation journey goes along. Mm -hmm. Okay, well, I think there's probably a lot more we could say here, but we are up against our time limit. So, Scott, if folks want to dig into details around NetOrca or maybe try it, where should they go? Uh, just go to our website, netorca.io, and there's a information on the product and an About Us section um, to contact us for more information. 
Okay, that's netorca.io. We'll have that link and others in the show notes that accompany this podcast. Uh, thank you, Scott, for being with us. And of course, thank you, our listeners, for listening. If you like this episode, you can find many more fine, free technical podcasts and our community blog all at packetpushers.net. You can hear us on Spotify, rate us on Apple Podcasts if you would. And last but not least, remember that too much networking would never be enough.